Less Doing, episode 116. Ari talks with Jordan Belfort, the real Wolf of Wall Street. Welcome to the Less Doing podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 116, a very special episode because I have a guest co-host who's back again, Dave Rail. How are you, man? Hi, Ari. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so first of all, I, I know it's very, very early here, but you are now planning to launch your own podcast at some point, right? That's right. I, I have, am in the planning stages now, but yes, that, that is going to happen. Awesome. Okay, well, I, I won't make you divulge too many details, but uh, Dave is a really smart, interesting guy, and if he's going to be putting out a podcast, I know I'm going to want to listen, so you guys should check it out. When it comes Excellent. out, and we'll have more info here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this today's interview is with Jordan Belfour, better known as the Wolf of Wall Street. So have you have you seen the movie? I haven't actually. I have it on my list of things I want to see, though. Okay. So one of the things that I asked him in the interview is what part, one thing in the movie that was really inaccurate, and um, his answer was pretty cool. So, uh, but the reason I wanted to have him on, and I have to, I have to preface this because it may not be clear, and I know this happens sometimes with the guests that I have, that it may not always be clear why I'm having them on the Less Doing podcast, which is about productivity and wellness, but Jordan actually is a really talented salesperson, and he has a sales system called the Straight Line Persuasion System. That is legitimate. Like, you know, there's obviously he went to jail. There's a lot of things surrounding his uh, incarceration and what he did on Wall Street. And take all that away, he's a really, really good salesperson. And he really knows how to ethically persuade people to buy into whatever you're selling. So that, that was why I found it so interesting. It was the most, it, he considers it to be the most effective sales system there is. So, I'm all about being effective. That's why I wanted to talk to him. And it was a really, really fun interview. Well, I'll look forward to hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> the first link I want to mention, I think I might have talked about this before with uh, you guys on the Mastermind, but did I, did I tell you about the, uh, the royal butter oil and fermented cod liver oil pills? Oh, yes. Yeah, I've, I've been taking those too. And I, I don't think I've had quite the uh, dramatic experience you reported with them, but uh, it's definitely uh, changed, it had a positive impact on the way I feel. Yeah, okay. So this is, for people that don't know about this, so, so butter is, you know, obviously butter. We love butter. Um, it's high vitamin butter oil, so you're getting vitamins A, D, E, and K. But it's also combined with fermented cod liver oil. So not only are you getting cod liver oil, which is really high in vitamins, it's very high in omegas, but because it's fermented, you're also getting the benefits of the fermented uh, fermented foods. So good gut bacteria, all that stuff. Now, the way that I've, I've, I, I've been taking this as two pills in, in the morning, and I've, I have felt better energy, better digestion, and it's cold season, and everyone in my house has had a cold or two in the last few weeks, and I've been fine. So <clears throat> I think it's really great stuff. What have, what have you noticed? I know you said it wasn't that dramatic, but what have you noticed? 
Well, I, I think the, the energy as well, and I, I've kind of, it, it's a little hard to isolate because I have been doing some other supplements, especially, you know, Dave Asprey's, uh, uh, the, uh, um, unfair advantage, right? unfair advantage. Yes. The unfair advantage doing that. And I, I've been noticing just that, that, uh, my evenings, I, I, I get, uh, I get up really early in the morning and then by the time I get my kids in bed, I, I pretty much just zonk out and I, I kind of lose all of my will to live at that point and, and go straight to bed. So, but, uh, with, with some of these supplements, it really, those, those two have been my, my, uh, newest additions. Uh, I've, I'm feeling a lot more, uh, able to sustain a little bit into the evening. And, you know, I still, I still go to bed pretty early compared to what, what most people do, but, um, being able to not turn into a zombie at, uh, you know, eight thirty in the, in the evening has, has been a big, a big boost to me. The other thing too, you mentioned, you know, uh, having cold in the house and mine was flu right we, we all of my family except for me uh came down with the flu and really? I, I didn't i didn't have a flu shot or anything too so um and and one of my kids did have have you know the the, the flu shot and still still got it so um but yeah me without any of that i i completely stayed above it so um i i think that's a pretty good statement there yeah that's wow that's awesome okay well, good. So, yeah, it's not expensive. It's not an expensive supplement. It really kind of, it's almost like nutritional insurance in a way. So, I, I really, I really like this stuff. I'm, I'm very impressed. And I first heard about it from Chris Kresser, who is at chriskresser.com, and he's been on the podcast. He's a really, really great doctor, and just puts out some really great information. That's one of his go-to supplements. So. You know, I really loved the interview you did with him. I, I think it was on the Entheos uh, yes, conference. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that that was that was uh, pretty. That was gold there. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, okay, so there was a blog post. This is this is funny and relevant for a, a couple of reasons. So there was a, a post that uh, Dave Asprey did on his blog that was about how to make your sushi more bulletproof. So it's, it's called How to Make Your Sushi Bulletproof. And basically what he's saying is that sushi is delicious. It's, it is actually a lot of the stuff in it is on the Bulletproof diet, and it's, it's totally in the green. Uh, but he basically says, that, which he points out rightly so, is a lot of times you might notice that you'll eat a whole bunch of sushi, and then you're hungry again like an hour later. Uh, and that's because it, usually sushi is a pretty low-fat meal. So he's saying basically you should add some brain octane oil, which is an MCT oil. You can sprinkle a pinch of pink Himalayan sea salt on top. Um, and, or he said you could even add some extra avocado to, to make it a really healthy fat meal. And all those things really jive well with sushi. But the interesting thing is that MCT oil actually enhances the ability of your... To, it's a flavor carrier. So it actually will amplify the flavor of raw fish and rice oddly enough. And then salt is also a flavor enhancer. So if you add in the salt, then you're basically just kicking the taste and the fat content into high gear. And this is funny because Dave and I did a, a, a live webcast, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. And then he and I went out to dinner together and went to sushi. And he had a little bottle of MCT oil and he spread that on top of his sushi. And the, the, the waiter, waiter actually came over and asked us what it was and he had to explain what MCT oil was. But it, it, it really does make it taste awesome. Well, that's interesting. Definitely worth a try. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, you can't go wrong with salt on anything. Especially pink Himalayan sea salt. 
There you go. Are, are you a sushi fan? I love sushi. Are you into sushi? I've no. It's it's something I've had. You know, a, a handful of times sprinkled here and there, but not not something that uh, I'm going to go out of my way to have. I'll, I'll I'll go with somebody if they if they go go do it. But it's not. Uh, it's it's never been a big passion of mine. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's it's one of those things. I feel like sushi is either people like are kind of into it, eh, or like they don't like it. Or they love it. Like, there's not really a big in between. So, like, I, I, I love it. I love sushi. Um, anyway, so that's how to bulletproof your sushi. There is a service that is launched in San Francisco. There's actually a couple services like this, but this one's called Lux Valet. And this is a fantastic concept. So, basically, no matter where you are, this is like reverse Uber almost. You, you pull out your app wherever you are, you're in your car. One of their valets shows up, they take your car and they park it somewhere. Fancy. Yeah, some right, somewhere. And then they can bring the car back to you anywhere you want. Mm. So like reverse Uber, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's fifteen dollars a day. That's not very much. Wow. I mean, it's pretty amazing if you think about it. If you, and I mean it makes sense that San Francisco is a pretty spread out city, but the there's a couple other services that I've seen like this, but like a lot of them focus on a specific location. One of them, you basically sign up with your home and your office or your office essentially. So you get to your office, they show up, they take the car and they park and they come back to your office. This one is anywhere you are. So on the one hand, this is great because let's say you're going out for the day and you want to park and you don't want to deal with parking. You just pull out the app and they come and do it. But another one could be like your, uh, uh, if you want to go out drinking with friends, honestly, like you want to go out to dinner and have some drinks, let them pick you up your car and then they can bring it home for you. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you can get a ride with somebody else if you want. Really, really cool idea. So Lux Valet. Um, Make it easy. Speaking of, yeah, right. And speaking of reverse Uber, did you have, so you, where you live, you have Uber, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Have you, did you see this surge protector app? Oh yeah, I, I did see a mention of that. Yeah, that, that looks pretty interesting. So, what Surge Protector does is anybody who's used Uber more than once, you've probably seen that there are times when you pull it out, and it says that there's surge pricing in effect, and it's going to be you know two times the price or fifteen times the price, whatever it might be, or well, hopefully not fifteen. But uh, what this does is Surge Protector. You pull out this app up instead of the uber app and it will show you what the surge price is where you are and then you can hit no surge and it'll show you the nearest location to you where there is no surge pricing and in many cases apparently it could be as little as a block or two away if it's that easy that'd be great yeah so this is kind of like i I may not be worried about uber trying to shut this down but honestly i think this is probably going to get people to take more ubers because there's going to be that person who doesn't want to pay the three times surge pricing, but they'll walk a block to not have to pay that surge pricing at all. And uh, it's pretty cool. I tried it a couple times, so it's a good idea. I feel like the drivers could figure out how to use this in reverse also to figure out that they just want to hang out in the areas that have the surges. Although, yeah. it, but the other thing is that, and you may have a thought on this from a programming standpoint, I wonder how they come up with the algorithm and that picks the surge, if it can be as little as two blocks away. Maybe it's like if you're not on a main street or something, but that's, that seems odd to me. And, and I know that that is the case. So it's obviously not random. That, yeah, that's uh, hard to, uh, to, to really uh, 
speculate on on exactly what it is that that would be different in, in a couple of blocks uh, other than uh you know th- there are parameters i'm sure that are going into that algorithm and there's there's some some uh threshold of of where that uh you know where that range is going to end and i i guess if, if you're lucky to be right on the the boundary of that then uh that that's probably what that is but uh boy I, i'm i'm really just conjecturing about that i don't don't have any idea but yeah. I guess really too, I you know Uber. I would think that if, if the intent, I, I I don't really know, but I think the intent of of surge pricing is probably really just to uh, kind of even out the the supply and demand. Um, and if that's the case, then yeah, I mean Uber's uh, incentives would be really to uh, serve their customers the best they can and, and to 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 even that out. So I don't think it would, you know, like like you said, I don't think it would really be contrary to their interests to have this thing out there and successful. It probably ultimately helps them so I, I i wouldn't think that them trying to to get in the way of it would would be probably something that would come to fruition yeah plus they're too busy fighting um the allegations that they're facing in india right oh, now. right yeah so, um anyway not to take a down note there but uh there's an article on barking up the wrong tree which is honestly one of my favorite websites um the eric barker basically just pours through reams and reams of research and then writes these articles sort of summarizing them and this one was uh basically how to read people like sherlock holmes for insights from research and there's a bunch of information here i'm not going to give you all of it the links the links will be in the show notes so you can see all the ones if you want but one of the things that it pointed out was that facebook profiles are actually very accurate research has shown that it's a rich source of information about someone's personality. So it's kind of funny because basically what it's saying is that there's a level of accountability because if you're posting a whole bunch of stuff that's not true, then people can call you out on it, and you, and you know that. So apparently Facebook profiles are a really, really good place to go to get a, a, an accurate insight into someone's personality. Thought was, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then the other one was that you can really look at the way people's homes and workspaces are set up to tell a lot about their personality, but specifically the locations of things or which way they're facing can really tell you the psychological function that that item is serving. So maybe it's very close to where a person works or sits a lot or something is deliberately placed in the middle of the room. Those tend to be significant things. That's interesting. You know, I, I did read that article too. I, I think you you probably uh, put a link to it somewhere. I, I know that I, I saw that somewhere, and uh, th- that that is pretty interesting. It was talking about kind of uh, different things being more geared towards guests in the in in the place versus being for for the person themselves, depending on whether it was kind of facing towards where where the person typically sits and that that kind of stuff. So yeah, that that is really interesting. I've I've always said that you can tell a lot about a person by what's on their bookshelf, um, but yeah, this has taken that to another level. And, and really uh, get, getting a lot of clues on things that, you know, very Sherlock Holmes, that's, that's a pretty good way that, that he put that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and just so people know, there actually was a real Sherlock Holmes. It wasn't, it wasn't a detective, though. Uh, it was a doctor. And I'm, I'm blanking on the name now. It was, oh, no, no, I got it. It was uh, Dr. Joseph Bell. So Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes series, uh, he was Joseph Bell was one of his professors, and apparently, this doctor actually taught how to be did, like use deduction in medicine, and so he would basically have the class of people, and he would bring in somebody who was 
you know, they, whatever, they, they, just a person, and they were complaining of some problem. And he would just look at them and say, oh, well, based on, you know, the scuff on that shoe, this person is an alcoholic because they fell and, you know, that pockets like they're, they're trembling in their hands or something. And then wow. they, they obviously have like a liver condition. Or whatever. I mean, it was it, that kind of thing. Um, so it's pretty, really cool. There's a book about it, too. Uh, but basically he was uh, that was that was the real Sherlock Holmes or what it was based on, which is Dr. Joseph Bell, who actually taught deduction. So really cool. Um, there is an app. Now, this one I like, and, and you, you don't have, you're an Android guy, but this is really cool. It's called Workflow. So this is, is Workflow for iOS, okay? So what this does is, this is, you can look at this like IFTTT for your iPhone. So basically, what this is doing is it's automating a lot of the workflows that you might normally do on your iPhone, um, such as, like what I'm using it for right now, well, one of the things, is that anytime I get an article, I see an article on Safari on my, on my iPhone that I want to put uh, in the show notes for you know, these podcasts, I have to tweet it, and I put the hashtag LDShowNotes. So this is, I basically was able to create an automatic workflow so I can push one button or one, you know, click one uh, icon, and it will grab the link that I'm currently on. It will create the tweet with the hashtag and send it. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, like, another thing that you can do on there is that uh, you can get an Uber to your next appointment location. So it will basically, it'll grab, ah. yeah, yeah, so it'll grab the next appointment, and it'll get the address, and then it will feed that into Uber and call a car for that location. Um, so, like, the, again, this is like, well, just like IFTTT, because it's the things that take you 30 to 60 seconds to do, but you're doing them you know, dozens of times a day. So this can be a huge, huge time saver. And you can make these pretty complex. It's, uh, it's really cool the way that it comes together. It's, it's drag and drop, and you can pull RSS feed items. You can pull images. You can, you can create an a, uh, animated GIF by taking five pictures. Like there's all, It's really, really interesting. And uh, it's got an open library so people can share the workflows that they've come up with. Cool. That really looks like kind of a scripting language with a graphical, touch-friendly user interface on top of it. That's yeah, really neat. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's all we have for this week. So we're going to get to the interview with Jordan. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Glad me. to do it, Ari. Thank you. Um, and uh, signing off from lessdoing.com. And now for feature interview. So now I'm speaking with Jordan Belfour, who is the creator of the Straight Line Persuasion Sales System and also the inspiration for the Wolf of Wall Street film. So, Jordan, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure, Ari. So, first of all, one thing I want to get out here right away is that you are traveling and speaking all the right? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably on the road. I would say about 70% of the time, uh, you know, I'm touring, you know, globally, everything from, you know, I'm going, to, for instance, to Vietnam tomorrow, which should be pretty cool, <laughs> and, uh, and then I just got back from China last week, I was in Poland last week also, and Germany, so I, I make my way around. Yeah, so now, first of all, what, I mean, what's that been like? Is that, I mean, it must be a little hard on your body and, and your, your mind, I'm sure, but I mean, it, and I'm sure it's also very exciting, but I mean, how, how has that been? Well, I mean, listen, it's, 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 it's amazing because, I mean, the, 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 uh, the actual, the, the, um, 
see the, the, the reception I get from people around the world and, and the feedback that I get is just amazing. I mean, I have a, you know, a really active Facebook uh, you know, account with all my fans. And like, you know, I, mean, I swear I get like at least 100 emails a day right now. I'm up to over 100 per day of people saying that you know, I've changed their life in some way. And you know, not just with sales, just like empower them to come back from failure. So it's really both you know, mindset and the actual skills of entrepreneurship. So it's really, I mean, for me, it's, been, it's amazing to, to sort of be able to go out there and make a ton of money, yet also to have the people you know, really be so profoundly affected by it. And it kind of drives me to keep going. So whenever I feel like I'm tired, I don't want to do like, ah, you know, I kind of, how can I not do this when people are really getting that much you know, value and enjoyment from it? So it's a, it's a really great situation. Sure. Okay. So now, now I want to talk about straight line a little bit because sure. this is one of the things that's so interesting as far as efficiency in the podcast. That, that, uh, the reason I want to talk to you is how, you were obviously a very good salesperson. And a lot of that is, I, I mean, I think is sort of natural, but you've actually turned into a system, right? So how do, how do you go from having sort of a, an innate ability or, or maybe you, it wasn't in your opinion, but how do you sort of make that transition to turning it from something that is really hard for a lot of people who just don't get it to right. like a real system that you've been able to teach the thousands of people. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, listen, you know, you hit the nail on the head in, in the sense that, um, you know, I am a natural born salesperson. I was a great salesperson from the age of four. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, really, like, uh, I always intuitively knew how to get into rapport with people, how to, uh, you know, have that sort of, you know, come off as being enthusiastic, having authority, all the things that, that, uh, that a great salesman needs to have. And then, of course, there's the, the ability to harness the right words and, and to create airtight, logical, and emotional cases on the fly and to be able to, you know, take an objection and, and be able to, you know, so, you know, so overcome that objection um, in a way that doesn't break rapport and actually allows you to sort of, you know, really change someone's mind by offering them new information. So all those things, they were completely natural for me. And I broke all the records in every sales job I had from the age of 16 on up. Now, the problem is, as you said, is most people are not like that. Most people hate sales. They, they fear sales or, they, or they're clunky at it. And, 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 and when I say sales, I don't just mean sales in the traditional sales setting, like I'm going to close a deal. Sales is everything in life and in business. I mean, I'm talking about the ability to share your ideas with people, your concepts, your vision for the future, to do that in a way that empowers other people and makes them want to take action, but also gets you what you want in life, too. That's what ethical persuasion is all about. It could be a parent trying to convince their children to make their beds, do their homework. It could be a teacher trying to convince her students on you know, the value of education. It could be a lawyer trying to convince a jury on the innocence of his clients. It could be a politician trying to convince his constituency to vote for him. It could be a pastor trying to convince his congregation on some moral issue. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, it's, so I think one of the big mistakes that people make is when they think of sales, they always think of it in terms of closing a deal. And frankly, in matters of wealth and success, it's the single most important distinction bar none, the ability to essentially make yourself known to other people or else you're a one-person army. Now, it's not, certainly not the only distinction for sure. I mean, there's many other things that you need to know as well with, with, with you know, achieving success. There's always specific knowledge in your field and whatnot, but without that one linchpin skill, it's very difficult. So for me, it was an inborn talent, no doubt. But that's 
very common in, in everything in life where, you know, people have certain natural talents and they do things where they're so elegant and automatic at it. And then you say to them, well, how do you do that? Can you teach me? And they're like, uh, well, I just sort of, uh, I don't know, I just look them in the eye and they don't know what the fuck to say, right? They, they, it's because it's an automatic system. So the, the magic of, of what I did with the straight line system, it actually cuts to something you told me on a conversation we had a few months when I first met you, is, is this idea you said to me about delegating authority. You mentioned some things like you can't just delegate authority. You have to systemize, optimize, and systemize. Right? Well, again, same thing goes with you can't just teach someone sales. First, you have to sort of optimize, figure out what it really is that you're doing. So uh, my first step for me was I had to take, take a step back and look and say, what, what am I doing so well? It's not, why is it that every single time I enter a sales situation, I sort of, I run the same pattern from start to finish. How am I doing that? What does that pattern consist of? And then it's essentially ferreting out the main chunks of that and then figuring out a way to hook them together and then teach it to someone else. Well, I was forced to do that because I had stumbled upon a niche in the stock market very, very, you know, in a young age, 25 years, 24 years old. And I, my guys essentially could not Close. I had 12 sales and they couldn't close. It was selling to rich people using the old system that I have, which is a really good system too. But as you know, you're more of an operations guy here. Like any system, you don't know how great it is until you stress it to the point of fracture. That's when you see a system collapse. And what happened was I had this other sales system, which was really good, very effective. But when I stressed it with this really difficult high-end sales all of a sudden, the system cracked, no one could close, and I was left in a situation where I had this great untapped niche in the market and no way to exploit it. So essentially, necessity acted as the mother of invention and forced me to crack the code for influence. And I, and I did that, I'm a very good modeler, it's one of the things I do teach people, and I, I was able to actually have this sort of breakthrough moment where I realized what it was I was doing how I was doing it so effectively, and I was able to teach it to people by having them visualize a sale as a straight line. And that was the beginning of the magic. And by doing that, I allowed them to sort of put things in order. Linear concepts are very easy to, to understand. And rather than being some like, you know, a sales like, oh my God, it's overwhelming. So what comes first? What comes second? Well, with a straight line, all of a sudden, you have this ability to sort of take things in order. There's a beginning point and an end point, And it becomes essentially goal-oriented communication. And the goal being to at the end of the day, close the deal, right? And empower the customer, give them value, and at the same time, get what you want to. That's how it happens. Right, and, and now, of course, there's the difference between you know, make, closing a deal and closing a deal and getting a long-term client or a long-term customer out of it too, right? So is that sort of taken into account there? I mean, obviously, there's a relationship issue there, of course. Well, they're, they're too, too, they're, interestingly enough, they're in the straight line system, I, it, one of the modules, I, I divided the 10 modules. The last module is, is called creating customers for life. And that's a question. What do you do after the guy says yes? That's a whole other set of challenges and factors and things that you must do. And in fact, nowadays, I'm just writing a book right now. And I'm, I'm actually on this chapter. I'm saying nowadays, because of the cost of getting leads and the economic realities that we live in, very often your marketing program is costs you so much per, per customer that you're barely breaking even on the sale. The money's made on a long-term relationship. So how do you take a, a customer and turn them into a raving fan? How do you take a raving fan and turn them into someone that keeps buying again and again and again and also will act as a walking endorsement for you? That's a very different set of rules than how you initially get into a rapport with people, how you create urgency. So you have to know both nowadays. You can't just have one or the other.
Yeah, right. I mean, creating creating evangelists basically is probably the best thing you could possibly do for your brand or whatever your effort is. And it's a it's a lot of the reason I think why you know people give stuff away for free sometimes and just to just to get the conversation going. Right. Well, I mean, I guess again, like it depends on what space you're in, and you know, when people give things away for free, it's you know, we, you know, we think mostly of the info of the info space, right, where people are giving away free trainings, and they're trying to, you know, they're doing it for a few reasons to establish themselves as an authority figure, to create reciprocity, right, to overcome, you know, the skepticism and so forth. So yeah, I mean, people have done that with great effect out there, right? You know, they're putting free stuff out there, and also it's also the oldest, you know, one of the oldest marketing, you know, mechanisms in the world from coupons that you know people get. You know, get, you know, little free samples that they give you in a store. That you when you go to the bakery, they have your free. I mean, that's been going on since the beginning of time, right? So those are all. You know, that's that's an issue of marketing more than sales, and that's about you know how do you essentially bring people into your sales funnel. But at a certain point, and here's the here's the point. That, and, and and you know, you probably know who Frank Kern is, right? Of course. So Frank's, Frank's a friend of mine, I know him for a long time, and, and you know, one of the things that, that I, I, I did a speech at Frank Kern's event many years ago, it's one of the few times I ever spoke on someone else's stage, and, and I said something that everyone started cracking up about. I said, I said, you know, one that makes me laugh about internet marketers is they think, many of them, that if they master the art of internet marketing, they can never speak to another human being. They can finally get to that point, they can hide behind their computer and never speak to a person. That's just not true. The real, the bigger money, in internet marketing, and like if you look what Frank is doing now, he's he's combining the internet and taking it offline with with with, with in-person courses and consulting, and it's sort of this higher level of money comes more from interaction. So you know, again, it's always about reconciling different aspects of of, of the world of success. You have this inner world, which is your mindset. You have your outer world strategies like sales and marketing. When you when you reconcile those two worlds together, you can find yourself moving through this world of success very very elegantly and making a lot of money. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, a very specific question, I'd just love to hear your answer to this, is a common objection that you hear, I mean, I've heard this, and that you hear on a lot, lots of movies and TV shows is when someone says, I have to ask my wife, or I have to ask my husband. So what, what's like a really good sort of answer when someone has to, tells you they have to ask their spouse? Well, listen, it, again, it depends on what you're selling, and based on what you're selling, the question is how real is that objection. Sometimes, for instance, if, if you're a real estate salesman, you're selling homes, well, very often the person does need to speak to their spouse. I mean, it would be irrational for someone to go out and buy a home without having the other party there. So now it becomes now a function of, of how do you manage your sales funnel? Do you set appointments where you're only speaking to one decision maker? Or you need to know up front, you better get both decision makers there or else you're wasting your time and your breath. All you're doing is setting some guy say, let me speak to my wife or my husband. So there are, again, certain certain situations where you wouldn't want to overcome the objection as much as put yourself in a situation where you have both parties there. That's, that's one aspect which I think people don't understand. Like they, they, when they think of, of objection, they, 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 they think of it in terms of like, you know, overcoming an objection. But here's the truth. Objections, that, that, which is 90% of them, are basically smoke screens for uncertainty. People, when people say, let me, speak, let me speak to my wife, what they're really saying is, I'm not that certain. Mm-hmm. In fact, in other words, Imagine a continuum of certainty. One means they are not certain or they think it sucks your product, right? And a 10 means it is the best thing in their mind since sliced bread. They love it. It's great. It fills all their needs. It's going to resolve their pain. It makes sense 
on a value basis of both the logic and the emotion. They just think, wow, this is just freaking great, right? That's a 10. Now, if someone is at a 10, an absolute 10 for the product, and they also feel about you personally, they're at a 10 with you, I mean, they also trust and connect with you at that level of certainty. And they also trust and connect with your company. So it's not just the product that they have to be certain about. It's also about you and the company that stands behind the product. Well, if they were absolutely positively certain about those three things, and they didn't, it wasn't one of those situations where they really had to talk to their wife because in, just frankly, in, 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 in the norms of human behavior, you would never make this decision without your significant other. And that's a realistic thing for some industries, right? Just you can't overcome that. You want to essentially fix that by having both parties there when you present. Okay, that's the solution for that. But let's just say it's not one of those situations where they really could make a decision. Well, frankly, if they were absolutely positively certain about those three things, they wouldn't be saying, let me speak to my wife. They'd be saying, let's freaking do it because there'd be nothing, no fear involved. So watch the other stuff. But let's just say they're not at a 10. Let's say they're at a 7. They say, you know, it sounds really good, and I kind of trust you. Not 100, but I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, you think you're trustworthy. Your company seems reasonably good as well. But because of that uncertainty, they're not completely 100% certain, they know that if they're wrong, if their compass is off, they're going to get major shit from their spouse. So in that case, they'll, they'll, they'll pop up and they'll say, well, I, what they're saying is I need to speak to my spouse because I'm not 100% certain. I want to make sure that if I'm wrong, she's signed off on it. That's what's really, when I mean, you dig beneath the, the surface, that's what's actually happening. So the way to get around that is not so much, there's not like, a, listen, I have a manual that I, that I created many, many years ago. And in it, it gives you 37 different language patterns about how you can overcome the objection of, I need to speak to my wife. There's 45 of them of, I want to think about it. 32, let me call you back. 50 for it's a bad time of year. 50%, so I have obje- answers to the objections for everything, but, but that's not what closes the deal. All the answer to the objection does is it gives you the right to speak more. Yeah. So when I answer someone's objection, someone said to me, you know, oh, I, got, I got to speak to my wife, and let's say that I, I knew they really did it. It was one of those situations that, come on, you know, it's a $500 sale, and, and they could do it on their own. There's a guarantee as well, so if they end up hating it, they could always get to, Let's say they really don't have to speak to their wife, right? So I say to someone, John, I've been doing this for a long time, and honestly, I know your wife doesn't consult you every time she goes out and buys a pair of shoes. Okay, you know, I'm sure you have a little bit of money set aside for a special situation where you really don't have to speak to your wife. Now, that doesn't matter whether that's a good answer or a bad answer, because whatever it is, it's irrelevant. All that does is gives me the right to say, and John, let me say this, the true beauty of the program, then I would actually go back into the actual benefits, and I would create that much more certainty, and I would raise up his level of certainty, give him more information, and make him understand why he should be absolutely positively certain about the product, about me, about my company, and if I do that, and then ask for the order again, all of a sudden, magically, that objection melts away. Because that wasn't really what it was. It was about a smoke screen for uncertainty. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I... Now, that goes with all objections, not just my wife. It could be anything. 
Right. So, and, and in the beginning, when I, you know, the first time I hear an objection, someone says, I need to speak to my wife, I won't even dignify it. I'll say, well, John, let me ask you a question. Does the idea make sense to you? Do you like the product? I'll just, compl- I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll dread, I'll say, I hear what you're saying, uh, but I'll deflect it. I won't even, I'll say, does the idea make sense to you? He says, yeah, it sounds pretty good. Well, that's not a 10, it's a 7. I know I have to raise up his certainty. So mostly it's about certainty. Yeah, okay. No, that, that, that that's a, makes a lot of sense. And you're just sort of keeping the door open to keep the conversation going. Okay, so I want to shift a little bit, and, and I, I want to ask a question I hope you're okay with. I, I think that everything in life, including bad things on the face of it, can be a teachable moment, of course. And uh, if you could share, like, something that positive and something that you learned that came out of your time in prison. Well, I mean, for me, it was, I mean, listen, I think the most empowering thing that I, I brought out of that which is something I already knew, but I mean, I think it's really empowering for other people, is that, you know, a lot of success is about being able to turn lemons into lemonade. So, you know, I, I had made some mistakes. It's very, I'm not going to go through the stories. Everyone knows it, right? It's not the purpose of today's call. It's pretty well publicized. It's in a movie, a couple of books about what things I did wrong, as well as the things I did right. And I think what people find so compelling about my story and why it was made into a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Scorsese, you know, the biggest you know, names in the world is because it represented like almost the best of human behavior and the worst. <laughs> like he was all these, I mean, these amazing things, these terrible things, right? And, and as you're watching, like, oh my God, this guy's like, it's like, you know, wasted talent. And, I mean, what, you know, and you don't, it's almost like you can't believe it's happening, parts of it, right? And then when I'm in jail, in this terrible, disempowered moment of my life, I somehow managed to teach myself to write. And from there, I harnessed this, this power of focus, of focusing on writing this book. And, and I ended up, without, you know, obviously I didn't plan the whole thing out that back then, but what flowed from there was truly staggering. It ended up building me a life that I would never have imagined. It's so grand and great and amazing and full of fun and, and helping other people and so much money as well. That it, and it came from this terrible situation. So that, that one, I think that distinction is really about we all – make certain decisions that end up going awry and causing us hardship. No one is exempt from that. That's a part of the human condition. The question is, what do you do when you're in the wake of of that disaster? How do you take negative energy, like so much negative energy, and harness that energy and flip that almost into this irrational positive energy. And, you know, we call this, you know, I, I call some people I, I know in the psychology area called the power of sublimation, which is almost skipping a state. In other words, when you take sublimation in science, means when you take like dry ice, it goes from solid to gas. It doesn't go through liquid, it goes from, yet it skips a step. So the power of sublimation in terms of wealth and success is about. How do you take something that's a, a, a terribly awful bad and somehow harness the power to flip that into something amazingly off-the-wall great? And we see that happen often in life with people who are very, very successful, like Oprah Winfrey, who had this unbelievably toxic childhood where you, you think that you know, 99% of the people, 99.9% of the people that had dealt with what she dealt with would have given up and turned to a life of crime and probably ended up in jail. Yet she was managed somehow to do the polar opposite and become irrationally successful. 
from, from, from negative stuff. That's the, that's the power of sublimation. So the question is how do you harness that power, and then there's a way to do it, and that's obviously a longer conversation, but it's really about you know, reconciling the inner and outer world of success and harnessing the power of intention and so forth. So, but that's, I think, the best lesson of all. I mean, that's, that's a very good one, obviously, to take away from that. I, it's, it's funny, actually, because I know, personally, I know uh, three other people who were fairly successful and then went to jail for something that was white collar and right. came out and, like, took their success to a whole new level. And it's, yeah. it's always interesting to me how that kind of, you know, the, the, the people, I guess you call it the ducks and the eagles, right? Right. Listen, another example would be, and it's not a jail example, it's a really good example because it's in a very different arena, is Bill Gates. Someone who made more money than any human on the wor- in the world, right, yet was reviled, was hated, is considered a shark and, and a cutthroat and an and a, and a antitrust guy, and just, you know, terrible human being, right? And yet somehow, in the midst of everyone hating him, he turned out to be the most benevolent soul on the planet, to, taking all his money and finally giving it to people in Africa. Like the same, you get it, you see this happen, not just the jail, it's, it's how to, so, so, and, and, this, and here's the, the irony, is the same forces that were at work that allowed Bill Gates to become what he became at Microsoft were the same forces that allowed him to sublimate, essentially turn this terrible reputation into being the, you know, probably one of the greatest human beings on the planet. And that, that's just, it's, it's, that, it's a system he's using. And that system, it seems like it's happening just by accident, but it's not. There's specific steps that I use myself. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question because I know that people listening are asked, but is there, is there something that you can point out from the movie that was, that was really inaccurate? <laughs> That was inaccurate or, or accurate? Inaccurate. Well, I mean, I think the, the most inaccurate part of the movie was that there was a speech that I gave in um, my, my farewell speech. And I'm saying, guys, I got to go and time to leave, blah, blah, blah. And then halfway through the speech, I, I looked down. I'm like, fuck it. I'm staying. I'm not going. Right? And I get to have the second. So that's fiction. I left. <laughs> you know, I'm not that stupid. I left the firm. And I had another company I was running called Steve Madden Shoes. I was a starter. I started. I founded that company. I went to run Steve Madden Shoes. So that was a really huge departure from reality. I stayed behind at the firm. That's a big one. Okay. Well, that's interesting actually because that was a moment where I was like, "No way." There's like, yeah. <laughs> "Come on." Why would I do that? Right? Yeah. It's just fictionalized. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. And did you have any input on that on the way that they did the script or? No? Well, I mean, listen. I had a lot of input. Um, I wrote a lot of the scenes. I wrote the speeches. I wrote the, tr- I wrote all the Wall Street stuff and the scripts like that. But at the end of the day, that you know, that was that that idea came from Terry Winter, the screenwriter. He was a brilliant guy, and uh, that, they just wanted me to stay with the firm longer. And you know, that's you know, I get it. You know, firm's a fun place. They want me to stick around. <laughs> you know, so you take the good with the bad, right? Sure. No, that's yeah. Okay. Uh, so now you're doing a lot of speaking, but you're also, you, I mean, you're doing consulting too, right? I mean, you are. Yeah, I do a ton of consulting. I probably do more consulting. Well, I do a lot, I mean, I'm doing a lot of speaking now post me, but I, you know, in the past I've always made most of my money through consulting to do just a bit of speaking. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I consult on sales and marketing. Most, you know, my big things are marketing and sales and entrepreneurship, you know, growing businesses and stuff like that. And I, I have a, you know, I do really well with that. I get a hundred thousand bucks a day for it and I'm booked a lot and, uh, but you know, right now my speaking business is just so, you know, it's just so big because of the movie. So I'm kind of it's hard to compete with that because you know you have you know you have four five you know, I have like twelve thousand people coming to Amsterdam in two weeks. So 
you know, you have 12,000 people, you're going to make a lot more than 100 grand in a day, you know? <laughs> of course. So, and I, I mean, again, I, I mean, I can't even fathom the, the travel schedule you're on. I mean, I've seen it. We've talked about it before. It's just, uh, it, it, it's, it's impressive that you're able to hold up with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, barely. <laughs> we'll see what happens, you know? Okay, so, so the last question that I always like to ask on these uh, interviews, and this can come from anything that you've learned, and you can interpret this how you like, but what are your top three tips for people to be more effective? Be more effective? Number one is master the art of persuasion. That's for sure. Number two is, um, um, to, is to, honestly, it's a blank one, but it's to learn how to delegate authority effectively. Easier said than done is to make sure that you don't get caught up in the minutia. You need to have good, you know, surround yourself with good people. I think one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is they, they, they don't, they almost, they, they're anxious, they're, 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 they're reticent to open up their pocketbook and pay top dollar for great people. And frankly, I will gladly overpay to have a talented human being versus underpay to have a moron working for me. There's no worse thing, more destructive thing. It's a lesson I keep learning throughout my life. I never stop. Is that, you know, bad people, you know, stupid people, people who lack talent are just the, the death knell of any business or any idea. And versus brilliant people, whatever you, they charge you, they'll deliver in spades and it's the best money spent. So the second is hire great people. Don't skimp out. And, and, and along with that, make sure that you share the wealth. If you're making a lot of money, put compensation plans in place that people can make money and, 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 and you know, feel like you know, they're part of a team. And, that, that's, and the third thing is to transcend um, goal setting and focus on your vision. And I, and I think it's very, very rare that someone really sits down and develops a, a compelling vision for their future, where they can really see themselves in five years and what's their life like, what's their business like, um, you know, in a very intimate, detailed way. And, and what's your why? I mean, why does it matter to you? What, what's the motivating factor? And, and that really allows you to continue to stay positive and move through the barriers and obstacles. So I think those are really three important issues. No, then those are three great ones. And actually, I'll expound on the last one, too, because the why is something that I always think about as well when I'm dealing with people from a productivity standpoint or an efficiency or a wellness standpoint. It's really fascinating to me to see what motivates people to do certain things, what motivates them to go towards a goal, and frankly, where they're lost in motivation when they're not being productive and they feel like they're kind of stuck. So that finding the why, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's really yep. a good one. There you go. Uh, okay, so Jordan, uh, we're going to have links in the show notes, of course, but the best place for people to find out more about you is where? Um, JordanBelfort.com. You get to find some all the stuff there. A lot of a lot of great stuff on YouTube and everywhere. So that's uh, that's where to find me. Okay, well, Jordan, thank you for taking. Hello, the time. everyone. Thanks for listening right. to the Less Doing Podcast. Bye. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on Contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a Send Voicemail button. Click on that, and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Meisel and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.